Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Squash community. Welcome to your next installment of the Squash Mind podcast series. As always, I've had so much fun with these recordings, and on today's show, I welcome a real icon of the game. Peter Marshall joins me today. He is massively iconic for more than one reason, but one of the reasons that sticks out is his ability to play with two hands, double-handed. He used to have two hands on the grip when he was playing, and it was just really amazing to watch and see how he did it very unconventional for squash as we know we don't see anyone in the modern game or, or even before Peter Marshall that used to use two hands so he did bring something really special to the game he was obviously massively dogged really big competitor very fit ridiculously strong had great control in his hands had a lot of deception on that backhand especially with the two hands and he was known for that really good, accurate length hitting, really got his length really pinpoint. Um, he was coached and mentored by Jonah Barrington, and we talk about this and, and that relationship when he met Jonah at about seven or eight years old, and the, and how this really formed some part of his 
real his mental toughness, his physical toughness, and, and the way he looked at the game. He was the British and European number one for several years. And most notably, he was the runner-up at the World Open in 1994 to Jan Khan, as well as at the British Open in 1995 again to Jan Khan. And he was the world number two in 1994 behind Jan Chan. And this was the time he was only 22 years of age. So he was pretty much destined, I suppose, to be a world number one and a world champion. And that was his main goal. Jancha was starting to slow down a little bit. There was obviously a few young young people around him or up and comers as well. So we talk about this and how this was to be world number two and right at the cusp of it. But unfortunately, in 1995, he got chronic fatigue syndrome of a couple of bouts of glandular fever. And, you know, the timing couldn't have been worse. It, it was just really difficult at any time, of course, but, you know, to be on that cusp of, of doing something amazing, becoming world number one to get it. And he was out for two years. So two years, even struggling to walk up a flight of stairs. And he reflects amazingly well at this uh, period of his life, obviously very tough, very difficult. And we take a deep dive into the, the, the mentality around this, the mentality of how he was able to cope with it and then also come back. So he came back in 1997, he got back into the world's top 10, and we talk about his his mindset there and how this shifted a little bit. And in 2001, after he retired, he published a book book called Shattered, which was all about his experience. I've read it and I talk about it in the podcast a little bit around, you know, how inspirational it was to read and how, how difficult it was for him. And a little bit more of the modern side of Peter Marshall, he went on to study physiotherapy at Nottingham University, and now he works at Ernest & Young. But as always, these chats, great fun for me, really curious, and to be able to sit down with Peter Marshall talking about his younger days and being mentored by Jonah, transferring through to the pro days, talking about any mental toughness things he did, which he didn't do a huge amount of, but we, we discuss why that is. And how he attributes his environment very much so to his mental toughness and the ability for him to really, you know, his inner voice sounded like it was really on point when he was in the match and under pressure and these big things were happening. He was able to focus and channel himself so, so well. And he, he puts it across really great in this conversation. And we close off the conversation this podcast around some really cool podcasts he's he's got me to uh, listen to a few podcasts that I've added to my list about neuroscience and what's happening in the brain and he sounds a very curious character in regard to that one small caveat here before we jump into the episode the audio quality is not very good um, the internet was a little bit bitty and um, the microphones weren't working too well but if you can persist through a few little glitches and bugs this conversation, I think, is is super enlightening, really good of someone of Peter Marshall's caliber to put across his mentality, his mindset. He does it in a very coherent way that makes a lot of sense and hopefully a lot of nuggets for everyone to extract looking at their own game and their environment. So please welcome to the show, Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall, welcome to the next installment of the Squash Mind podcast series. How are you keeping? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm keeping well. Keeping well. Obviously, still still strange times, but mm. um, hopefully we're now coming back to a bit of normality. But yeah, all in all, uh, yeah, things, th- things are going well. So awesome. I'll complain at all. 
Yeah, no, good. And we had we had a, a bit of a chat before we started recording and, and caught up. And it's been quite a few years since we saw each other. Mm. So yeah, it's good good to actually connect again and and yeah, jump into this whole concept of the mind and, and see where you're mm. at with it and, and reflecting back on your career. But I think a good mm. place to start would be to let uh, some of the listeners know what you're up to right now in your life. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So I I um, retired from from squash probably back in kind of two thousand. Um, and 2000, 2001. Um, and to be honest, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do when I stopped playing squash. So um, I was, uh, I actually went, went back to university and did a, did a physiotherapy degree. So I went back to Nottingham University, did a physiotherapy degree, um, worked as a physiotherapist for a couple of years. And then, and then I kind of decided, actually, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. You know, it's, I suppose it's quite a, you know, chosen profession in terms mm. of you know it, it, it's it's quite precise in what you're going to do and I thought actually this isn't going to be me forever so while I was doing the um while I was doing the physiotherapy course I did a, a, a business course an MBA at Imperial College I actually moved from Nottingham to London at that time um got married and a couple of other things changed in my life and then I um started the MBA finished that and then I then I got a job with um a consultancy company a healthcare consultancy company Ernst & Young um and I've been doing that job now for the last kind of 10, 11 years. So nice. something, com- something completely different, um, something completely different from squash. But yeah, um, yeah it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been an interesting journey, but yeah, also, so I'm now, now, now in a, now in a new third career, I suppose, in, wow. in my life. So yeah. Cool. <laughs> and and listen, we, we, we're going to unpack your, your junior days, your pro days, mm. but, but you still, you play, you're quite, um, uh, popular and and you put yourself into the masters tournaments so how many masters titles have you won up to date yeah yeah so so i so, so when i first stopped playing professionally I, I kind of had a good a good long break and didn't really play much for kind of a few years um and then i started to play a little bit in a, in a local league actually in london called the bath cup um started to play and just kind of playing once a week and then yeah i kind of got, got the big i think after after a period of time it's actually quite good because you have a bit of a break and then you yeah. stop I mean, the, the hardest thing is when you um, first play, well, first finish playing professionally is once you play again, you always compare yourself to what you used to be. Sure. So it's frustrating because you're obviously never going to be as good as what you used to be. So it's, it's you know, it's a potentially frustrating time. I had a long break and then actually it kind of got, got out of my mind, really, what, you know, how I used to play. So I, was, and so I didn't really make any direct comparisons. Mm-hmm. Started to play a few, a uh, bit of Bath Cup, a bit of Surrey Cup as well, and, you know, really enjoyed it. and enjoyed playing against new players who I hadn't seen before and even in old, some old faces as well that I'd competed against over the years. And I think I just, and, you know, then gradually move into playing a few of the Masters events and, um, yeah, and it was, it, was, it was good because it gave me mm. a bit of a, you know, gave you a bit of a focus, um, gave you a bit of a focus to keep fit um, and, you know, have a bit of an external challenge. Um, and, you know, it was, it was nice because it then, you know, changed from being, gosh, is my job and my profession Mm-hmm. But actually, it's a bit of a test piece from work, so, you know, and do a, a, you know, days of work. And nice. And then jump on a squash ball is actually really, you know, it's a really nice thing to do. And also then the social side of it afterwards in a team match, you know, it's a really nice mm-hmm. thing to do. So, and it probably brought back the memories of why you first started to play, you know, why you wanted to play in the first place. Because you really enjoyed the game, you like the challenge, you like the physicality, you know, or, you know, side of it. All, all the reasons why I started to play um, when I was a kid, mm. and I came back, um, you know, um, over the last you know ten years or so. So 
Nice. Awesome. Uh, and, yeah. and I can imagine what well, you, you just alluded to the, 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 the mindset shift. And that's, that's a lot of the conversation I want to have with you today. And mm. obviously playing pro and getting to world number two and, and on the cusp of winning a, a world uh, open, obviously mm. there's a very different mindset sh- from there. And then the shift into mindset in what a more social side of the game, a more relaxed side. Did, did you ever yeah. have any, any, any demons, I suppose, when you started playing a little bit more socially again, did, did any of those competitive elements come back? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, at times, you know, you, I mean, I mean, I don't think you ever lose that. I mean, you never, I mean, once, I think, I think the difference is, I suppose, what goes, goes on outside the court um, when, you know, after you've retired, because mm. you're obviously not, you know, you're not, you're not preparing anything like you would do when you're playing professionally. You're not committing the time, um, to, you know, being the best you can. But as soon as you step on the court, it is quite interesting, actually, because <laughs> there's a switch there in your brain that changes. And even if you haven't really been training or playing or you haven't really felt that competitive, you know, most of the time there's a switch that then changes and you do revert back a little bit to your old self. And yeah. you, know, you you then, you know, okay, it's social, but you, you know, but you want to win and you want to play well and you, you know, you want to, you know, you want to compete. So that's just, I think, just installed in you that, and that, mm. and that, and that doesn't, I don't think that ever goes, you know, that, <laughs> that, that kind of competitive edge and you try and keep kind of feel like you want to be relaxed about it, but you know, mm. at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're still a competitive animal and you, you know, you want to, you want to play well and you want to, and you want to compete. So, um, so yeah, so, but it's, yeah, it's a different, obviously a different, you know, completely different pressure. Uh, it's not, mm. it, it, it doesn't feel like it's life or death if you lose, but, you know, having yeah. said that, you still, you know, <laughs> you still, you still, you still want to win. Totally. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Mm. So I'm curious to look back at your junior days. When you were a young player, you brought something very, very unique to the game, the, the two-handed, the way you went about your business and playing with, with the, the two hands. And I can imagine along that journey, there was, there was the naysayers, people telling you, hey, you can't do this and you're not necessarily going to um, you know, go far in the game. So can you talk us through this process and, and how this was mm. for you as, as a junior and, and, and with people maybe giving you advice that was possibly against the way you were playing? Yeah, so I I I, I was fortunate. Um, I was very fortunate, really, because Jonah Barrington was involved in my early career, and he was always very positive about my about my technique and the way I was playing. So, you know, he, and I think I think when you're a young kid, especially, you kind of directly look at the people who are influencing you directly. Yeah. So, um, so I suppose I block, you know, generally blocked out a lot of, I suppose I would say, negative comments, um, and I think. Because obviously, you know, a lot of people were saying that um, you know you would do, probably do well at a certain age group under ten, under twelve. Get to the next age group under fourteen, then mm-hmm. your technique's not going to work, and then you know your whole game will break down. And then you know, once I got to under fourteen, they were saying actually under sixteen, your game will break down. <laughs> so you know, this kind of probably got to about under nineteen. You know, got, got to being when I was coming to nineteen and still doing well. And you know, those probably those comments probably stopped at that point. <laughs> <Get them out>. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I had that all through my career. And I, I don't think I used it as a, you know, I didn't use that in a, in a kind of a negative way. So I didn't use mm-hmm. that as motivation to keep playing well and get better. Mm-hmm. I think I just kind of blanked that out um, and just thought about myself and you know, my own game and trying to, you know, trying to set targets for myself and nice. trying to improve and, and trying to improve myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose if I, if I hadn't carried on improving um, at a young age, I probably would have looked at my technique and I thought, yeah. Because I was progressing well and, you know, Still winning a lot of junior tournaments, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Jonah was still kind of backing me in terms of the way I was playing. You know, I suppose I, I then mm. you know, thought, well, actually, um, you know, that you know, the, there's there's less of a need to 
to change. So, of course. And, and and having someone like Jonah in your corner, and I was I was curious to also investigate who were your mm. major influences as a junior. So, can you expand mm. on on what um, on what Jonah brought to the party, and 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 how this maybe gave you a lot of self belief in in you and your game? Yeah. So. I was, you know, I was very, very fortunate to meet Jonah at a, at a young age. I had a, a coach um, called Tim Ayling, um, who was who was coaching Leicestershire. Um, he was my first ever coach, and he was a, a good squash. I think he was kind of top twenty in the country at the time, squash, but also a good tennis player as well. Um, and he used to go and train with Jonah occasionally in, in mm-hmm. Birmingham. And, and 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 one day, I think that's probably like seven or eight or. Yeah, seven or eight. He he took me along to see Jonah, and I and I actually can still remember now going on court with him. Um, and then from that point onwards, you know, we had then you know we had a relationship in terms of um, you know him him supporting me. He then set up not long after that. He then set up all the um, the national training program. Mm. So um, kind of all the kind of under ten squads and the twelve squads, um, all the tournament scene as well was really kind of starting to get going. Um, so it was a yeah, it was a it was a fortunate time to be kind of involved in squash you know Jonah at that point was uh, you know he was wasn't just a big superstar in the game of squash he was a uh, you know superstar in sport really and he was everyone you know you'd, you'd ask a taxi driver in London you know have you, have you, what, what do you know about squash and they would mention Jonah Barrington Amazing. So, you know, probably even now people you know he could be one of the most well-known figures yeah. um, in the game of sport so you know it was a it was a it was you know everything kind of you know everything kind of um, worked well for me in, in terms of timing and also my dad had a squash club as well so that was all you know everything kind of connected well for me to you know put a lot of time into the sport and um you know and it, was, and, and it was obviously also a sport that I kind of connected with and you know mm. um found challenging and kind of wanted to play mm. so so this this might link a little bit um to mm. to maybe your time with Jonah and and also transitioning into your pro career so Mm. What can you think back? What was there any directed mental training you did as a junior, and then also in your pro career? What 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 did you come across that you thought actually that's really cool working on the mind? I know it's advanced a lot in in, in the modern years, but anything mm. come to mind when I asked that question? Yeah, I mean, so I I don't I think probably in my day when I was a junior that there, there, there wasn't necessarily this quite a clear distinction between okay let's let's you know. Let's, let, let's work on the mind mm-hmm. um and you know there were sp- sports psychologists around but um it was it was more i think people probably probably people more thought of sports psychologists as if you've got a real specific you know anger problem or sure. you've got a you know a, real, a really bad temperament problem um it was, quite, it was quite taboo wasn't it back in the day it was, it was a bit, to have someone it was a bit, yeah, a bit, a bit more taboo, and you'd only really, you know, so you wouldn't be seeing. I don't think you would go to a psycho, a sports psychologist, or mental coach just to improve. You know, you might, you might be already very good, you know, uh, mentally, but you want to mm-hmm. improve that a bit more. That, that wasn't really the thinking. It was more actually, if you had a really, you know, what was a bit of a problem, then you would see a sports psychologist. I think mm-hmm. that, I think, I think that's coming. I mean, Lisa. I mean, I used to train uh, um, when I was a little bit older with Lisa Opie, and she was one of the first people. Um, it should be interesting to get on here. Mm. One of the first people to sit in squash anyway, she was a, a sports psychologist. Um, and that really worked well for her. And I think she would probably say that that was one of the reasons why she won the British Open. Okay. It was one of the first times that I think Susan, De- I think Susan DeVoy at the time was dominant. But Lisa Opie was very mm-hmm. capable of winning big titles, but her temperament let, let her down. And she saw a sports psychologist and, you know, that was probably a turning point. Yeah, which, which which was interesting. Mm. So no, I mean, in terms of specific techniques, I don't think I particularly, especially as a junior, I didn't necessarily use any specific techniques. Well, having said that, looking back on things, 
and I suppose the way, you know, especially the way that Jonah would, uh, you know, and all the training camps that he put forward and the coaches he got involved with, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the um, actual training that we did would install kind of mental strength yeah. and mental toughness. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so it wasn't directly working on the mind, but looking mm. back on it, you know, mm. a lot of it was really good habit formation in terms of how you practice and how you concentrate mm-hmm. um and you know and, and jonah was a massive you know attention to detail was a really you know that, that was always one of his kind of common you know themes and saying so so all you know all these things would would, would you know would definitely impact you yeah mentally so so it sounds um, like it sounds uh, like the the environment yeah, so, curation. So, yeah. yeah i think so yeah i think so and i think you know the way that um you know looking back on it now you know the, the the training and the practicing was was you know was was really you know, was really high quality and Jonah and all the coaches that he had you know they, they they their standards were very very high so um you know you got used to playing in that co- kind of quite tough environment um but that you know that then meant that when you stepped on a on a court and played you know tough matches and competitive matches you're already in a kind of a mindset um that you didn't really have to probably think about too much in terms of okay, I've got to concentrate hard now or, or you know, I need to keep my cool because it was already kind of installed in you to, yeah. to some degree because of all the like training that. and practice that you've done so it wasn't yeah I think that was that was more of the benefit for me and I still think that stands I, th- I still think that is you know extremely important fact. I mean you could be you know you could see the best sports psychologist in the world but if you're not doing the day-to-day right things in terms of your training and practicing and, and all you know and all the habits that you need to form to, to make sure that you're disciplined and professional mm-hmm. you know like I say you can see the best psychologist and, so, and, it's, and it's not and it's not going to work for you um, yeah, totally like as as you're speaking there that that's exactly what's coming to mind you you know a lot of sports psychology is is in the classroom I suppose and, and you can talk amazing things and show these amazing models and it's amazing the player might sit there thinking brilliant I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm getting I'm getting stronger I'm getting mentally tougher because I'm understanding it but none of that replaces the actual in the field training and in the field moment would you say no 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 I agree I agree and I think even sports psychology has progressed a lot over the you know over the over the last you know, 20 30 years hmm. and I mean I, I haven't um I haven't spoken to any sports psychologists but but recently but from what I've read it, it seems like it's a lot of their theories are now much more based in terms of you know practical application so exactly. it, it seems to me like it's a lot more realistic in terms mm-hmm. of what people are actually saying you know what the sports psychologists are actually saying and they're probably working a lot less now in isolation so they'll be, mm-hmm. sports psychologists would work with a wider team you know with a fitness trainer work with, an, with, with your squash coach and, yeah you know, it'd be part it'd be part of a partnership and a, and, a, and, a, and a team to try and get the best out of an individual mm-hmm. um so yeah so it's it's yeah, so it's it's interesting. I mean, I used to think, you know, sometimes I, I think I did see probably in my early twenties, I saw a, through England squash, I saw a couple of sports psychologists, and you know, they would give you specific techniques to work on, but it didn't, you know, for me, it didn't quite work um, yeah. in terms of in terms of concentration. I suppose, you know, some of the bizarre things that um, you were kind of taught was later. Like, okay, if a sports psychologist would say. Um, really focus on, I don't know, focus on concentrating. You know, if you hit a bad shot really focus on concentrating your mind on the next point whatever, you know, and whatever technique they might use. Just the fact that they say that can put it into your mind. Actually, oh no, I'm not doing, you know, can, yes. can make your mind think the opposite way. So yeah, true. I, think, and I think now psychology has, has, has you know, like I say, has, has, has changed. And 
And I think people are much more aware of, you know, there could be a whole number of thoughts that go through your brain in a squash match or, you know, in a mm. training session. And actually probably half the challenge is just ignoring the thought. <laughs> it might, might, might sound strange, but, you know, ignoring what comes to mind and just accepting actually, you know, you will start thinking negative thoughts during a, you know, during a match. Mm. And that's kind of completely normal. And don't get, you know, don't try and be too perfectionist about it. Like actually, I need to be mentally unbelievably great, never yeah. lose my cool, never lose my concentration, never have negative thoughts. Because I think if you stop thinking like that, you will, you know, if, in, 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 invariably during a match, these things will happen. And, you know, and then you start, you know, getting stressed about it. So I, I, think, I think sports psychologists, are now more accepting that that mm. how the mind works and actually you can't you know you shouldn't fight too much against what you think and i'm a big believer in that, that that's, yeah you know, uh, it's, yeah, it's no, how you cope with things how you respond is important complete well you, you're exactly right there i think two things come out of that for me is is the idea of acceptance you've mentioned that a few times and that's something i'm really big on you know we're not necessarily trying to block our thoughts out but we're trying to accept we're going to have them and how we respond to them so that's yeah. really key and then the second thing is that idea of, again, I've seen and heard sports psychologists being at the practice sessions with players now and, you know, actually take it from the classroom into a yeah. live practical practical thing. Because in the classroom, you can make these perfect scenarios, can't you? You can make yes. these perfect ways. And actually, so much of squash is almost battling the inconsistencies and battling the chaos. So if you're sitting yes. there perfect yeah. and then you go into a chaotic environment, it doesn't yeah, seem yeah, like yeah, that yeah. model will transfer there. So what's your thoughts on that? No, you, no. No, yeah, no, I'm a big, yeah, and I, I to totally agree with that. Um, and, you know, like you said, Jesse, wash it in a sport, life is unpredictable, <laughs> you know, and throws different scenarios up in, in, different, in different situations. And I'm actually quite a big believer in it. If I, was a, if I was a coach now, a young player, I would actually want to put them into mm. quite bizarre, unusual situations where you know, the lighting on the court might be terrible or the ball might not be bouncing properly or, you know, all whole, whole kind, of, kind of range of different, things that could potentially happen and just throw those you know those circumstances to you know and, uh, to, to a player and just let them exactly. try and, and just let them try and cope with it and you know even bizarre things like yeah, i suppose when you first not, not not that you'd want to do this on purpose but you know turning up for a tournament with you know a bit late or missing a flight and you've only got 20 minutes to i think sometimes in you know, the people who can who can cope with the unpredictable mm. um actually you know that, that's actually quite a positive thing obviously you don't that's want to on purpose put yourself in those situations but you know it's the people who i think hands from sometimes are the ones who want everything you know their whole environment to be kind of perfect and and, and how that's they've true. trained and then you know something unusual happens and they you know, and, and they and they can't and they can't cope with it i mean you know everyone's everyone's different i know that you know some there are quite a few sports people who are unbelievably from the outside don't look that organized and i was definitely one of those <laughs> didn't, you know didn't yep. seem to be organized um uh, I've, I've you know read stuff about andy murray and apparently he's the same really disorganized in a lot of respects but when it comes to you know his tennis he definitely understand what, what what he's trying to do and actually he's quite probably used to you know coping with you know um you know, all random different events and, and, that, and that's actually quite a positive thing in, totally in a way yeah no it's awesome to hear and and so again two things i, I want to pick up on there is i i heard um uh, michael phelps when when he was a young swimmer mm. his coach used to do what they call sabotage sessions so like his coach would purposefully change the temperature of the water give him goggles he'd never used before make him swim in a different outfit so they went through all these eventualities of, of mm. dealing with the situation and they he was of the opinion you adapt or you're going to lose the 
race. It doesn't matter about mm-hmm. complaining about the situation. So that picks up a little bit on there what you said about changing the lights or make it slightly awkward. So I think that's a, that's a really big point. And then secondly, which I'm curious to explore more with you, is mm. that whole idea, yes, you said on the outside, you might feel or look like you're not as organized or you know you have mm. to turn up and you might have to borrow someone's racket to play. Mm. How, how were you able to, I suppose, have that little bit of disorganization, you may be saying your words, mm. but mm. when you stepped on court, you were able to execute to the best of your ability. What happened there? Mm-hmm. No, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, if it felt like for me, like a bit of a switch, you know, so as soon as I stepped on the court, my mind would switch into kind of a professional mode, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that was my, you know, I almost felt more secure on a squash court <laughs> in a way than outside of squash court. That was just how it kind of was for me at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I suppose I had, you know, in my mind, I had quite a clear way that I wanted to play the game mm-hmm. and what I wanted to kind of work on and um and I think you know I think that I think that definitely helped I think if you've got a if you've got a clear vision of what you're trying to do I think that's I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful so that, so that that definitely worked for me and you know I suppose as, as my kind of years went on you know and I couldn't always control this but you know if, if I was really concentrating on executing the right shot or the right shot at the right time or making sure that the ball was glued to the wall and there's not just like straight on certain things on in terms of my game mm-hmm. that then took the end result of trying to win or lose slightly out of the equration obviously those thoughts are still going to come into your mind if you're mm-hmm. about to a big match or tournament you know you get, you get nervous and you can have negative thoughts but I, I suppose without seeing a sports psychologist you know these are the, you know I, I really honed in on you know for me a lot of it was um, trying to hit the ball as accurately as possible, straight down the walls, as, you know, as well as I could, um, and you know that that seemed to kind of really work for me because I focused on you know that particular you know those particular parts of my game, and that took the kind of the winning and losing, competing against my opponent, mm-hmm. um, slightly out of the equation, and even referees' decisions, you know, I kind of just ignored them because I had this you know. Um, focus on what I was trying to do, you know, spent hours practicing certain things. And then when I tried to, try to get on court, I tried to execute that. And that yeah. was my mindset. So I, I tried to remove it as much as possible from the end result, mm. winning and losing. And I know that, I know you can't always do that. I couldn't always mm. do that. And people can't always do that. But mm. that, that, that did help. Um, that seemed to help me anyway. That, yeah, that it's... It's what what you hear about a lot of coaches and psychologists talk about, you know, staying in the moment, staying present, controlling the controllables, keeping yourself here and now. And that that all sounds really great when you get told it and everyone goes brilliant when there's no pressure on. Yes, I can work on this. But actually, when you're thrown into that pressure situation to be able to go there, that that sounds like something that came quite natural to you. Um, Yeah, I'd say it did. But I I mean, I'm a a big believer in it. I mean, when I stepped on court, it, it. there were things that were natural, but I'm still a big believer in, in in how much effort you put in off the court and how you know. So, so if you're practicing really properly and really thinking about what you're trying to do and um, you know hopefully improving while you're doing that, and I think if you you know putting a you know a good amount of time into doing that and making sure everything you do is professional, you know you're being as professional as you can, um, you're really trying to work on your game. I think I think some of the nervousness comes out of a of a the kind of a match situation mm-hmm. and actually it becomes a bit easier then to just lock yourself into that you know if you've been practicing and training properly to mm-hmm. lock yourself into that mindset in a match situation and obviously then you will have nerves that come on top of that and sometimes you know it might be better of you but 
So, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, okay, you know, you might be nuts, someone naturally might be mentally strong and tough and, you know, can concentrate really well. But I think a lot of it is the work that you put in beforehand and, you know, how you how you prepared. And I know it's, it's a bit of a yeah. cliche about, about preparation, but, um, you know, I, I think that that really is, you know, I think that's really important. I just, you know, I, I, I just don't believe that you can, you know, you can be very mentally strong and mentally good without putting the work in beforehand. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's, mm. it sounds sounds exactly right. So let's let's explore that a little bit more because, mm. and, and this might link me into part of the conversation I wanted to wanted to go with. So what's coming to mind? Environment creation by Jonah, maybe training methods by Jonah, and and, and the way yeah, he yeah, yeah. hard. Um, so you were physically unbelievable. Like you, you got yourself into an amazing shape. So I would like you to talk about that to start, but then also maybe that that link or that obviously the, the slightly negative part of your career when yeah, chronic yeah, fatigue yeah. kicked in. So yeah. could, you, could you walk us through a bit of a timeline around that and 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 how hard yeah. physically you trained and then how it might have tipped the other way possibly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I um, so yeah, so so I suppose even for even from you know a reasonably kind of young age, I was you know putting in some you know pretty hard training sessions. Um, I mean, it wasn't necessarily lots of stuff off court, but, you know, on, on court kind of feeding sessions or ghosting sessions. Um, you know, I was doing that from a, you know, for me, from kind of a reasonably young age, I mean, maybe too much looking back on it. Um, and so, you know, that was, and, and, you know, you're right, that, that was my kind of big, you know, that was my big strength and also big, mm-hmm. you know, confidence booster as well to know that, you know, I was physically, in a, you know, strong and fit um, compared to, you know, kind of my, competition and, and you know and they probably knew that as well so actually it kind of you know up to a point that worked really well because you're going on court against people and they're thinking actually this guy's not going to give in he's going to be mentally strong he's physically good you know and actually um even if you even if you might be having a bad day you know you can almost create an impression that mm. you know you're, you're you're kind of some kind of you know, physical animal <laughs> that's not going to break down Lovely. and you can actually and actually you can win quite a lot of you know or, or some matches can be kind of become easier because People might give it a bit of a go in the first game, and then actually think, "Oh, this is going to be too hard," and don't quite give. You know, and so, yeah. so, so that takes a bit of time to build up, and that probably definitely helped with me. You know, the matches that I could win quite comfortably, I probably shouldn't have done in some respect because you know, if the opponent right. pushed a bit more, I could have easily broken down at some stage. But you know, you build up. Like Nick Matthew is probably a very good example of that in recent times, building up a reputation of you know, physicality, and actually, you know. People, a lot of people are, 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 are kind of, kind of can lose before they even step onto the court, even if they don't want to admit it. You know, they kind totally, of that, totally that, that. That, 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 that that kind of is the truth. Um, yeah, but you know, so 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 yeah, I worked worked incredibly hard, got fit, you know, really really strong and fit. Um, then, you know, like all these things in life, I suppose it's about you know things are a balance and there's a tipping point, and what can be your strength is also your weakness, and that's mm-hmm. definitely the you know that's definitely the case with me. Um, so what my strength was in terms of mental strength and I suppose physical strength at one one point in time um, was also a weakness because um, you know I kind of pushed it over the edge a little bit. I actually got I, you know I got ill. I got glandular fever, um, which you know um, which is quite a debilitating condition to get. And sure. kind of you've got glands are swollen, sore throat. You feel tired for kind of prolonged you know for months on end, prolonged period of time. So I got that when I was actually I got that. Uh, twice. I got that first time when I was like 19 and then I got it again when I was kind of 22. Um, but I suppose the mis- you know, one of the big mistakes that I made was I didn't just give myself long enough to recover. 
Um, I was so keen to get back onto the squash court and start competing again and playing again. And because I was physically so strong, I could kind of play not being 100%, if that made sense. So I could push myself, even though I shouldn't have been really pushing myself, I should have been resting. Um, so that's where the kind of the mental strength side of it was, you know, a negative yeah. for me, I suppose, because I it's... could you know, push myself through situations, you know, waking up in the morning and thinking, you know, I'm really not, not just feeling tired because of playing loads, but feeling abnormally tired. Mm. And then being able to push myself to kind of push through those boundaries was definitely not a good thing to do. Yeah. But, well... um, you know, my mind was, you know, that's how my mind was kind of programmed mm. at that particular time to be able to, to do that. So, yeah, that was... Um, that was one of the negative things. I mean, I suppose just looking back on it as well, is what was difficult. Not, again, there wasn't the knowledge and information around about how you, you know, treat conditions like chronic fatigue syndrome or glandular fever, probably is what there is today. So, you know, it's uh, easy to look back at that I did the wrong thing, but you know, mm. different, it was a different time in those days. Of course. Well. Yeah, well, that's that's <coughs> quite a journey. And, and before we started recording, like I said to you, I loved, I got your book as soon as it came out. I remember as a junior looking up to you, I had some videos on you and stuff. So it was really good to dive into the book. And anyone listening, I would massively recommend that it. it's, it's a fascinating read. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to have a little look at the... So how old were you when you got your second batch of glandular fever? And was that the time that you then stopped for a couple of years? Yeah, that's right. So, so, I, so I was 19, 18, 19 when I had glandular fever the first time and took kind of three months out, four months out of the game and then started to play again. And kind of was, you know, kind of was okay. Um, okay, it was okay. And then when I was 22, um, that's, when I, um, that's when I got another bout of glandular fever and that then turned into chronic fatigue syndrome. So that's when I was kind of close to being at the peak, really, or what I kind of mm. was at the peak. So I was number two in the world at that time. Um, and it was the time when I was, you know, competing a lot with Jancho and getting, you know, getting a bit closer to him. Um, we're having you know, a few five setters, um, uh, you know, and, and it was, you know, he was number one in the world, I was number two. Peter Nickel was a bit younger, um, so he was, you know, Few, few ranking places down. Jonathan Powell probably hadn't quite come onto the scene then. Um, Rodney Martin and some of the some of the older guys who are you know uh, Rodney Martin, Chris Dick, Marcus Robertson. Their careers are just kind of starting to come to an end. So it was actually a really good time to come. You know, Glancho was probably also yeah. falling down a little bit at that time. So it was almost like a perfect situation to you know keep on uh, you know uh, playing against Glancho and hopefully kind of um, and topping him. Um, and yeah, then I, 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 I had, had the danger fever and, and the, and the chronic fatigue and, um, so again, that's, that then brings in a whole load of other kind of mental challenges and, you know, um, mental ways of thinking at that situation. So, so I was, I was totally. well, very I, I young think... and. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to dive into that as well at some point because I am curious about the comeback and mm. how you dealt with that. But yeah, mm. listen, 22-year-old, world number two, right on the cusp of arguably becoming a world number one and world champion. That's uh, amazing that you were doing that so young and, and really mm. setting your stall out. So two things I want to talk about here. Um, what, what, not what actually is Galangia but can you describe how it was for you and how difficult it was? And, and I think I remember in your book, walking up a flight of mm, stairs was nearly impossible mm. for you. So we're talking yeah. about literally almost going from if a hundred is your best peak fitness down to one or two. Yeah, 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 can yeah, you expand yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so a lot of people who have glandular fever, well, not, 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 not everyone, but you know, if you have glandular fever, that can then turn into what's called chronic fatigue syndrome. So gland, I mean, glandular fever, the initial symptoms are, um, you know, you would have swollen glands. You'd have a, it's a bit like tons, a really bad bout of tonsillitis for anyone who's had tonsillitis. Um, really, really bad sore throat, swollen glands, feel really tired, um, you know, kind of a bad case of flu. But you don't just get over it within a week. You know, you kind of, you know, kind of drags on and, and, and you know, the, the, the sore throat and the, the swollen glands might go down. But you've got that after, you know, that after effect of kind of real persistent kind of tiredness. Waking up in the morning, feeling you know really tired, like you just want to sleep all the time. Sure. Um, feel like you're just dragging yourself through mud to get through the day, um, and then you know that can then turn into chronic fatigue syndrome, which is just a longer term version of, of the symptoms that I'm just saying. Um, and it's one of those things that you know, um, I mean, even probably now doctors don't necessarily really understand. Um, you know, how you you know the treatment protocol behind it um but yeah it's just it's it's, it's something then that turns into a you know, every day you just feel under the weather mm. haven't got energy yeah like you said tired just even walking up the stairs um you know you can you know you probably can push yourself and comp- you know and maybe even compete for a short period of time but then you know you'd have a serious payback for you know quite a few days weeks afterwards body's feeling stiff um, you know, unnecessarily stiff. So you might do a bit of exercise and then the next day it feels like you've kind of run a marathon or, you know, you play for like, you know, two and a half hour squash match. And right. so, so, you know, there's something not working within the kind of muscles and your kind of uh, ATP system metabolism. There's something not quite, I don't know, I don't know quite know what it is, but it's not weird if things aren't working quite right. I mean, actually quite, inter- it's quite interesting yeah. at the moment because obviously with, with, with COVID um, and actually, you know, Chronic fatigue syndrome has come back a little bit in the, in the news recently because people are saying that there are some similarities between people who've had COVID and then that turns into long COVID. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, okay. No, so no, that's heard people that who've had you know um, COVID and then just don't recover properly, but then they almost oh, wow. have then long-term symptoms of tiredness. Not all the symptoms of COVID, but long the long-term symptoms mm. of tiredness. And people are saying, you know, the doctors are saying actually mm. there's a big similarity between that and people having chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, so oh, wow. yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more research actually going into COVID because of this because of long COVID at the moment. Um, so yeah, so it's you know it's 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 a it's a you know, it's it's tough because you're obviously physically you're not feeling great at all. 
and it's difficult to get the right advice and have the right treatment you know there's lots of mm. no one can really give you it's very difficult to get a very clear answer on on a way out of it and you know like and, and then like yeah. anything else any condition that you have physical condition that you have for a long time it's going to impact you mentally as well um, oh, yeah like i was, I was going to say so what, what what coping mechanisms did you do so was it was it now two years where you didn't play at all or did you try and train or how did that go and then again mentally if you could if you could expand yeah, on that that'd be yeah. really interesting. So, so i um so yeah so i so i actually probably one of the last matches i played was the british open um and before and i played jan Khan in the final and, and lost like really easily like probably in half an hour probably the easiest i've lost to him oh, in wow. you know two or three years probably even even longer than that um and that was one of the last competitive matches that i played before i had this two-year break um and and th- and then i you know i kind of got tested again and that's when it, it had him had in my blood system that i had danger fever again so i probably had danger fever for you know a good few months and actually looking back on it wow. probably even the summer before that so i played i think the british open was always in kind of march april probably even this kind of the, the previous summer i wasn't feeling you know, it I was having days and weeks. I wasn't feeling 100%, but, but not, you know, not bad enough that I needed to stop training and playing, but I, I just wasn't, you know, I didn't feel quite right. Although at the time, I you know, sit to the back of my mind. Um, so that was then, so, yeah, that British Open, that took a lot out of me. Um, and after that tournament was, you know, that's when I kind of stopped, basically, and took mm-hmm. myself off. I knew I wasn't 100% or nowhere near 100%. And uh, that's when I had that first kind of long mm-hmm. bout of, of time off for, for, for a couple of years yeah. and, then, um, and then and then what were you telling yourself during those couple of years like like how were you how were you was there belief you were going to play again was what, what were you doing mentally to be able to make yourself cope basically yeah no it was it was it was you know it was tough i mean there's no kind of getting around you know there's no getting around it um and i think it was the ins- you know i had injuries before and i've had had injuries since and i always say you know i had a, had a, had a back, back problem i've had knee problems and injuries are kind of easier in a way because you know you, okay once you get diagnosed you've got a set protocol for, to how you get better you know you, you've got a kind of a set way of okay, you have a rehab program see a physiotherapist see a sports doctor you might have a, you know, an operation of some sort but you know there's a protocol and then obviously there's uncertainty in that protocol in terms of whether you get back back to 100 percent you know there's a kind of a way forward and i think for squash players, sports people they kind of can cope with that quite well because it's a, you know they can throw themselves into a rehab get better and you know that's you know, they can do that very professionally and you know they can see yeah. some end results and see some progression and you know um okay it's really really tough but you can see an end kind of goal i think this sportsman's mind is you know quite good at getting back coming back from injuries but with an illness like what i had it was it you know that that would that was one of the toughest things i've, I've ever had to deal with because the, the uncertainty exactly yeah the uncertainty you know you could see a number of different doctors i'll give you a number of different um, you know advice about what to do there isn't really a solution as such. You don't even really know yourself what's going on. And then, you know, like I said, over time, and, and this can happen with injuries as well, you know, the mental side of it starts coming into it. You start questioning yourself, you know, am I really feeling this bad or am I just making this up? Or, hmm. you know, you, I mean, you start wow. asking you all kinds of questions. You start getting a bit down as well because, you know, you're not playing the sport you want to do. You're not, you know, or you're, or, or you're, you, know you're not, you can't pursue your career as you were doing before. Um, so then, you know, a bit of, bit of doubt, bit of depression creeps in, then that also, obviously that's in the negative spiral in terms of you know, less energy probably because of that. So, you know, then becomes very hard to differentiate actually how, you know, are you recovering or not recovering? You know, it, yeah. it becomes all very blurred and difficult. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, I try, you know, I um, I probably had a few moments feeling sorry for myself and not really knowing what to do. Um, I, you know, I then, um, probably after about a year out, I then kind of made a conscious decision. Okay, I said to myself, well, I really am going to try and do everything I can to get back and playing again. Right. So I, you know, I, um, I suppose a bit through trial and error, really. I set myself quite a regimented program in terms of, um, kind of an exercise regime that was extremely easy to start with, okay. um, with lots of rest, and then just tried to progress that but until I kind of came up with a certain, you know, level of fitness where I thought I could actually step back on court and start competing a little bit again. I mean, I, and over this time, first year, six months of the year was difficult. Then I was recovering and starting to feel better, so that was making things easier. Um, so that helped. And I also did, you know, I also tried to take my mind off it as well. So I, mm. I actually went back. To, I did a couple of open university courses actually nice. and and that was good because it kind of you know took my mind off things although to be honest it did take my mind off things but I think when you're that you I think at that age and you're that competitive and hungry to do well you can say you know <laughs> try and do something else but it's very difficult you know it's during yeah. it's kind of like you know it, I, I, so I think you know just acknowledge you know anybody uh, advice or anybody else I think again it's probably ex acceptance is one of the key words because yeah. you know there's no point in denying that Things aren't going to be tough, unfortunately, mm. and you know, and um, I think just trying to, you know, trying to accept the situation as much as possible, get as much support as you can around you, whether that's family, friends, you know, support network. I think is is, mm. is really is really important. Try and put things into a sense of perspective. I think that's a you know that's an important thing. Yeah. Um, was there yeah. was there any time throughout maybe your first batch of glandular yeah. fever, second batch, where yeah. you actually thought? I'm tired. I'm not feeling great, but actually, I'm just being weak now. Or did ever that? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Where yeah, 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 yeah. like actually, no, just 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 man up and 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 pull up your socks and no, get on. No, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, because that's you know that that I suppose that it's going back to to the strengths and weaknesses of of, of myself mm. as a human being and, and yeah. my own kind of you know flaws and positive attributes. Yeah, I, I definitely had those thoughts of you know okay, you know just push through this, you know, that, that, I suppose that's my kind of initial, what was always my initial way of thinking is to just try and push through a situation because, you know, that's worked a lot in terms of training or having played or, you know, you know, a tough match and you kind of push through difficult situations and, you know, physically demanding situations. So that was, you know, that was a bit of a, um, yeah. that, that, that was a, a, you know, a bit of a fallback, but, but obviously that, that, you know, that isn't really, um, you know, the right is it the right thing to do i mean you know it's difficult you you've got to really um take a number, number of different factors into consideration of course. I think. And, and it's a bit of a trial and error to be honest yeah how, and in terms of how things work out and um yeah but yeah that that, that that didn't you know that didn't help you know it helped me physical the mental strength helped me to get to where i got to mm -hmm. number two in the world but it didn't you know yeah from that point onwards um, and and that's that's maybe where i don't know with with some more help or advice or more knowledge with sports psychologists or maybe a bigger team around you they could have said hey listen let's rein this in a little bit when you know this is your time to rest and like you said you had to do a bit of trial and error with it but that that's yeah. Probably, yeah that leads me to my next little bit is mm. um is right your comeback so you know two yeah. years out you said you started this slow regime of building up your fitness and yeah. your strength yeah and can you talk? Can you talk about that? How when when you felt you were ready to step back on the court competitively as a pro, yeah. and what were your goals? Mm. Were they the same goals as before? Did they change a little bit? Yeah, can you paint yeah. a picture for that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, to be honest, I don't think I was. I don't think I ever really got to the point where I thought actually I'm 100 percent ready to come back. 
yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think that was really in in my mind. I think it was more actually, you know, I've waited so long, and you know, I, I'm not 100 percent sure whether I'll ever be, you know, back to getting back to being 100 percent. So I suppose I made a conscious decision that you know I'm going to give it a go and see how things go, and um, you know, maybe take a bit of a risk, really, but you know, just yeah. just kind of go for it. And I think that was the that was the thinking that I kind of came to in my own mind. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I suppose when I was, you know, when I, even when I was a junior, when I was coming up and, you know, got to number two in the world, I suppose my, always my, I had a very clear goal and that was to be number one in the world. It's quite, mm-hmm. simple. In, terms of, uh, in terms of ranking anyway, you know, that was quite a simple goal for me to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose coming back, I suppose I, I didn't really have that goal to, in, this, in, the, in the same sense. I suppose it was more, you know, my goal really was to try and see whether I could get back onto the circuit and compete for the next six months and just, you know, and just see how um, my body was going to, you know, was going to cope and see whether I could kind of keep progressing. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, with all of these things, you know, I suppose I'm painting a bit of a negative picture. I think on the, on the, on the positive side, um, you know, I remember coming back and playing again and really, really, I mean, it sounds, again, this might sound a bit corny, but really appreciating the fact that I could step on a squash court and play um, when I thought maybe I might not, never do that again. So it was kind of mixed emotions because you've got one part of your brain saying, well, this is frustrating because I've been out for two years. I haven't got, I haven't now got a ranking. I might never be able to, you know, fulfill what my previous dreams were in terms of getting to the top of the world. Um, you know, and that was kind of taken away from me and being, you know, being frustrated about all of that. But then on the other side, um, you know, I was kind of really grateful that actually I can step back on court and play and do something that, you know, I love doing, a sport that I was passionate about. And, you know, I you know, suppose do something that not many people get the opportunity to do, you know, in life really is do a, you know, do a job that they're really passionate about. So, yeah, well, it, it, listen, it doesn't sound corny at all. I think there, there's a huge bit of um, research I'm doing around around gratitude and actually, you know, how gratitude can fuel mental toughness in a way and yeah, how yeah, gratitude yeah. can really be a, a driving force. And actually, I think sometimes as athletes, you know, to be able to stop and say, hey, listen, I'm doing something that only a small percentage of the world get the ability to do. No, and exactly, when you yeah. reframe it like that, it, it can give you quite a lot of a boost, can't it? No, no, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it is how you, you know, how you then mentally, you know, approach your life going forward is, you know, that is, mm. that is, that is extremely important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, um, I suppose now, you know, the more I know now, the more I know, I suppose the more, the more I understand that a lot of these things, it's, it's not just all about mental toughness, you know, you, mm. you can't just, okay, that can get you to a certain, a certain level, but, you know, you need to have you know, the team around you in terms of a support team is unbelievably important. But how, you know, how you might set yourself goals that are achievable, uh, you know, unbelievably important. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just, you know, there's so I think I think the days of just thinking I need to be mentally tough and push myself. I think those, you know, you, I think you you could be the toughest person in the world. You probably could only get so far with that right. thinking. And actually, sometimes you need a bit more of a you need to have that and just something to fall back on. But you mm-hmm. also need other things around you in terms of you know support and you know, the opportunity to, you know, do things the right way and rest properly and train properly and all those other things that, mm. you know, have, you know, have the right coaching setup, et cetera. You know, all of those are, 
extremely important foundations to have. Um, I agree. I think I think you alluded to the word earlier. You know, as soon as you're saying that, the word balance comes to mind, doesn't it? You know, striking that of balance, course, yeah. isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Having, yeah, and um, you know, and it, it it's you know, it's it's kind of setting yourself sometimes kind of realistic, you know, realistic goals. And again, it's getting that balance between being tough on yourself, mm-hmm. but also not too tough on yourself. Because if you're mm-hmm. too tough on yourself, you know, you, that that can end in, in you know in tears for a lot of people and a lot of players. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you've got to set yourself high goals and standards. Otherwise, you know, you're going to get better. So all these things are, uh, you know, it, it's, there's no right answer. And it's a bit of a, um, it's a balance and, a, you know, it's a switch that, you know, you can go one way and, you know, and, and things work out. And, and, and you, you, go, you, go, you go another way and you might become too mentally weak or you're not pushing. You know, so it's, it's all, I suppose that's, you know, that's the job of your, your, yourself, understand, you know, understanding yourself as an individual and also your, you know, like I said before, your coaching team, support team around you, and everyone being on a bit of a journey together and learning throughout time. You know, you're not going to get things right to start with, mm. but it's you know over time you can you know definitely mm. understand things better and get you know, and get better throughout that kind of you know throughout your whole yeah. journey as a, a definitely. Yeah, the, the, the the more I've had these conversations and the more I'm I'm taking a deeper dive into this, it's you know what everyone's different of course we know that but also mm. everyone's different at different points in their life and actually hearing course, something yeah. at a 21 year old it might not sink in but actually you hear the same thing at 25 or 26 and it might hit the mark so that that's what i'm really enjoying is that idea of hey listen just because you've tried something once don't discount it for the future whether that's no, exactly. relaxation or whether that's more effort so i i I'm, I'm loving that journey myself of going everyone's different and everyone's different at different points in their career yeah. um, what, what do you think on that no, no I, I, you know, I definitely agree. And, um, you know, you look at a, diff- a lot of different sports people and they, you know, people or people in life, not just sport, mm-hmm. people in life, people mature, think differently at different stages of their life. And sometimes, you know, certain technique or certain way of working that, that someone might have tried to do as a youngster, you know, or someone in their early 20s, you know, might not have worked. But, you know, later on, it kind of, you know, it kind of does work. I mean, I'm just, you know, thinking of, in terms of squash, for example, you've got people like Armand Shabana, you know, when he was younger in his probably his early 20s, you know, probably a lot of people could be saying, actually, he's not disciplined enough. He's not, he probably, you know, he might not have the tools to, you know, get to the very, very top. And, um, but then, you know, a few years later with maturity, you know, he then, you know, matures into the player that he was. So, you know, it, it's different things to different people at different times is definitely, um, you know, an interesting way of, well, I think it's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good yeah. way of looking at it. And I suppose what you don't want to do is, especially as a coach is, is turn someone off, you know, at a young age by doing something that's going to stop them from their natural progression. You know, they might have a lot of ups and downs, but if you put them off by being too hard on them or, you know, mm-hmm. saying things that are going to completely put them off for, you know, almost forever, then that, yeah. you know, that's definitely something that you don't, you know, obviously you don't want to do. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's an in, definitely an interesting journey for most people yeah no really really well said there peter thanks for that um so i'm curious maybe for the next couple of questions to dive mm. into a little bit more of the detail around you on the squash court you performing so when mm. you hit those periods of flow in a match and, and you know when everything's working you're almost not even thinking what 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 happens there what 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 what's what's in place uh, what do you think some of the triggers are when you're in that real flow state um that's a good question. I mean, for me, I suppose I was, you know, pretty tough on myself. I, I very rarely would think I'm in a flow state, to be honest. I mean, um, I might have some very small periods of thinking in a flow state, but okay. um, 
for me, it was a bit more of a, you know, maybe I'm not as talented as other players, probably not, but it was a bit more of a battle. And I, you know, so, so I don't think that necessarily really came into my um, mindset particularly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, like I said before, I, I, you know, I was really focused on trying to bring what I was practicing on, training on, onto the squash court and just trying to execute whatever I could do as, you know, as, as, as well as possible. And almost um, forget about my opponent um, as much as I could. And again, this probably, again, there's strengths and weaknesses in this. I probably didn't look at this tactical side of it enough um, in, you know, in some of the matches that I played. But I think on the positive side, it meant that, you know, I could just really focus on kind of clear goals for myself in terms of how I you know, wanted to play. Sure. Um, and for, you know, and for me, I suppose I was, you know, I was really big on trying to be, you know, accurate. I hated the ball kind of jetting out into the middle of the court or being loose at the front or, you know, that was a really big thing for me. Um, and so, so, so that was something that I could kind of hone in on and, and be especially tough on myself. But it, you know, in a way, it, it, I think it, it just helped me zone in on specific features of a, of a game that, that, that meant that I, you know, other areas, you know, referees' decisions or whatever it's going to be, or my opponent, you know, how my opponent's playing, I could sure. kind of take, you know, take out the equation. Mm. But that's, 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 that's where I'm having almost a bit of a debate with myself or with other coaches or players is going, how much do you want as a player to set out your stall and your game plan, right? On one side of the continuum, on the other side of the continuum, how much do you want to be open to adapt to your opponent and actually be really aware of them? Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah, there's yeah. a balance, of course, but were you more the side of you, you do you, you set out your stall and you go from there. Was that how you dealt with things? 100%. Yeah. That was my, that's the way I did it. Yeah. And I say, I probably, you know, I, pretty sure I didn't I didn't look on the other side of things enough you know looking back on things you know I I, I wish I could have been a bit more adaptable and change things up and change my game more depending on what the circumstances are my, what my opponent's tactics are um, but having said that I think that everyone needs that though. I think that's almost like a basis I think you need to be able yeah. to set your store out and have be very confident in what your game is what your strengths are how you play mm. and actually have that as a you know that's that's your kind of basic starting point mm-hmm. and and hopefully over time being very confident that that is your game that is how you set your stall out and play mm. and i think once you've got that set out properly i think then looking at you know tactics and uh, uh looking at your opponent strategy and how you might counteract that i think then you know you can then bring that more into play but i think yeah. you need that i think you need to be you know and i think probably most of the top squash players you know, top, top sportsmen have got you know They've got a definite way of playing, um, and, and you know, and it's you know they can change their game. Defi- mm. You know, they can they, they can change the game and play different styles. But you know, they've got a you know they're, they're mm. kind of known for a certain certain way. So that's yeah. um, and and this this might link closely, or you've almost mm. possibly even answered the question is, but what keeps you calm when things aren't going your way? So you know, mm. you are playing loose now. You're spraying the ball a little bit. Maybe the ref has got inside your head. Yeah. Did you did you come up with anything that that try to keep you calm? Was it more focused on what you can do again? Yeah, I think so. For me, it was more what I could do, and I would then you know just I suppose try to accept that. And and you know, I've hit a few bad. Yeah, there's been a few bad rallies, or I've hit the ball. You know. Or jet it out and hit the ball loose a few times, and you know, and just 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 try and refocus. I mean, maybe I was lucky. I didn't, re- you know, I occasionally got annoyed with the referee, but but I I found it quite easy to kind of switch off and zone in on kind of my own game 
and you know, not get too disturbed about kind of external, about, about outside influences. I mean, the way I used to think, I mean, I, maybe it was just a too, I was too rational, I don't know, but the way I thought about it, especially in terms of referees' decisions, I just, you know, I kind of looked at it very logically and thought, over a year, if you're thinking you're playing over a year, you're going to, and it's all going to equal out eventually. So you might have a match where, you know, you have three bad decisions and lose that match because of that. That's not, that isn't going to change who you are as a, as a kind of a player and your end, you know, kind of ranking or where you stand in the game. That, that isn't really going to influence you. So I, I love that. But, that's and cool. So, and so, so that just, maybe that just came quite naturally to me to think like that, but that, that's how yeah. I, that's, that's how a- I thought of it. So, so, so I didn't, you know, I didn't try and get too hung up about each individual match in terms of extenuating circumstances mm. that can happen. I mean, I, I always said that. that, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's different for different people, isn't it? And, you know, there can be, you know, there are examples of people who could have won a big title and a referee decision, you know, caused them to lose that big title. And, you know, that could have actually, you know, impacted their whole life and career. You know, yeah, that, that can happen. There's, there's no denying that. But, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's mm. how I... Mm. I think I'm, I'm definitely going to use that one. The next time one of my juniors is going off on one, I'm saying, is this decision now going to affect your whole year? Which, yeah, it's, no. it's probably a good, good way to look at it, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I suppose another way of thinking, I try, you know, in terms of a long-term way of thinking is, you know, I, I knew that if I was putting in the right work and getting, you know, hopefully my game was improving over time, you know, I might not play well in one tournament season, say I was using First tournament might not play that well. Second tournament, maybe I'm not going to play well. But I had the confidence that I thought I'd worked on my game in the right areas. And eventually, mm-hmm. over time, it was going to, you know, it was going to come good for me. Yeah. And six months down the line, then I could get a string of good results that actually is probably due to the work I put in seven, eight months before that. True. That makes mm-hmm. sense. No, it's so a, lot of it, a lot of it is being patient as well. I think that's, you know, it's that, that can be very, very frustrating for players. Yeah. Uh, not get immediate results, but unfortunately, it can happen for some people, they can get immediate Mm. you know it, it it's it's a, you know it can be a kind of a longer process and it, no, you know, things can things, things can take quite a lot of time to kind of to pull through in terms of the end result and mm. having the is it, again this is where the good support team is needed it's having the confidence to keep going down obviously you don't want to blindly keep going down the down your path if it's the wrong path but it's having some commitment to do something for you know the same period of time keeping on going and believing what you're doing is right and then and then maybe we are re-evaluating you know after a year if it hasn't worked out but you know i think sometimes people give it you know they're too they, they want results too quickly and well i couldn't unfortunately agree in life that, that's, yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't work well, well i think they're the slight i say unfortunate you know i love technology and love where the world is at but there's instant gratification everywhere we look netflix spotify we want to watch something within of course, one tap yeah. of the button so we, we're becoming maybe more primed for instantaneous feedback no, and yeah, instantaneous yeah. results but that links me to my next bit is I heard this quote. I think it was great. It says, if you're crushing it now, it's because of what you did six months ago. It's not because yeah, what yeah, you're, yeah. What you're crushing it now. It's not because what you've done now. It's all about the six month period before. So I think there's a couple of interesting things there as, as coaches and having these conversations with you is going yes a lot of the youth today get this instant gratification and instant success but how can mm-hmm. we try and put things in place where you know what it's more look at the big picture and long-term goals so yeah you saying that for me is is, is really powerful yeah hopefully people yeah, no, no. yeah it's tough i mean i've got a, i've got a young boy who's 11 and it's you know he likes his computer games and i totally understand what you're saying it's, it's, it's tough because you know they get that instant feedback i mean i think I think if you, you know, I think you have to be realistic as well. And if you can formulate things where even in practice or training, people can see progress, even if it's yeah. small progress and you can measure that somehow. 
I, I think that helps, especially mm. with kids, because they can see some, you know, it might not translate into in terms of a win for them, um, but, but they can see some progress and they can kind of hopefully measure, you know, measure that progress. So I think this is where I think a positive thing around technology and hopefully can, can come in more and more within sport is if you can, you know, I think anything where you can kind of measure your progress and track it and see, you know, the benefits that are, that are occurring from whatever training True. session or, you know, you know, speed of your serve, you can see that increasing. You know, eventually all those small gains will translate into a mm. kind of longer term improvement. But mm. yeah, it's, it's difficult because people do get, you know, hard to keep people motivated. It's hard if you put a lot of work and they don't see the reward for it. Exactly. I, think I think people, you know, I think everyone's, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are up for working hard. Mm-hmm. But I think where the challenge comes is if they've worked hard and then they don't see yeah. an end result. Completely. But they, you know what they have to realise is everyone else is probably a lot of other people working hard as well. Yeah. So it's, well, so, yeah. So, it's, so, so, so it's you know, it, and you know, you have to be, you know, you do have to be patient. Mm-hmm. So, I think uh, I think anything that's that's successful is is based on this idea of a delayed return environment. So you know, it it, it you work yeah. hard now, you only get your paycheck at the end of the month. So the, the you know, I think anything that is 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 going to be sustainable, solid, and with big foundations. It's about delay. It's about right. It's going to come in the future. So, and I've always been of course, on the idea yeah. if something if something comes instantaneously, you get that that overnight success. It links me to that other statement: is you know, to become an overnight success takes ten years of work. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, people yeah. all of a sudden appear, but it's like actually they've they've had a whole bunch of stuff in the in the back there. Um, but maybe yeah. maybe this is another thing you you could talk about. But I always mm. like to ask this question: What mm. advice would you give to your twenty year old self? Twenty year old self. I mean, I, you know, I would probably, I mean, patient, probably what we've just been talking about there, patience, really. No, I suppose knowing what I know now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, maybe it was a bit different in my day because there were a lot of good players who were very young, good, very young. So I was growing up in the days of, you know, Jan Chijang, yeah. mm. they, you know, they were kind of world champions at the age of, you know, 18, 19, maybe they weren't quite 18, 19, not quite sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they were young anyway, you know, and then the general, um, you know, a lot of the top players were good, very, very young. So you felt a bit of pressure to kind of get up the ranking list at a very young age. Right. Um, but I suppose the biggest piece of advice I'll give myself is be more, you know, be, be a bit kinder to myself and mm. be more patient as well. Um, and, you know, um, you've got, you know, if you're 20, you've got a lot of years, you've got a hell of a lot of years to get better and work things out for yourself and, you know, work out what's the best route for you. I'm not saying that you should take things easy, Mm. but you know you've got time to kind of figure things out and keep progressing and you know um so so yeah that'll be my advice just just take right. a hopefully take a longer term view on things and mm. you know don't be too you know don't be too tough if things don't go you know quite how you want them to everyone seems like they're in a rush to get everywhere at the moment. It's like a, a rush to get the, the promotion, the rush to get that ranking. But hearing you say that is, is, is really powerful. So yeah, again, it's, it's hard. It's hard to hear as a 20 year old sometimes because, you know, we are in that rush to get there. Um, but listen, mm. you've been amazingly generous with your time. I've, mm. I've loved having this chat, but in mm. closing, um, mm. and you were telling me about this before we record it, I mm. want to hear some recommended podcasts or reading or, or anything that, that you're finding interesting about the brain. And, and you mentioned something about neuroscience. So yeah, yeah. Tell the listeners what you're listening to at the moment. Yeah, so I'm, I'm listening to a podcast series by a neuroscientist. Sounds very clever, but it's not actually that clever. Um, called Andrew Huberman, who's a Stanford professor, um, and he talks a lot about um, he talks a lot about stress and how you can control your mind and how all the 
kind of chemicals that your brain releases um, at certain times of the day influence kind of the way you think, the way you, how motivated you are, how stressed you are, how relaxed you are. So he puts it into quite a scientific um, way of thinking, which is which is quite interesting. So that's that's one person that I would I would um, I would look at. And there's a lot of stuff that he does. He's he's, he's a big expert on sleep as well, which mm. which is quite interesting. Um, and the other thing that I've looked at quite a lot recently, which I think will get bigger and bigger, actually, is the way that it, breathing, breathing techniques. And there's a quite famous Dutch um, extreme sportsman called Vim, Vim, it's called, called Vim the Vim Hof method, Vim Hof, yes, yeah, which yeah. is the breather. I mean, that, you know, but every, I think as understanding how the breath, um, I think that's really important and, and, and how, you know, how that can bring about either getting your body to be in a bit more of a kind of an energetic state or if needed, more of a relaxed state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the sports psychologists and sports people will be using that, you know, a lot more kind of going forward. And even how you're breathing in terms of how you're kind of when you're training, yep. how, um, you know, and and nasal breathing and not mouth breathing. I don't know if you know anything about that, but all, oh, yeah, all, no, all, yeah. all that I kind mean, of stuff, yeah. I think, I think it's, you know, another piece of advice I'd give myself as a, a young player or a young sportsman or a young professional in any field is see yourself as a student of just not the game of squash but you know of, 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 of a number of different disciplines whether that's sports psychology whether that's nutrition whether that's sports science you know you've got quite a lot of time in the day to you've got to try after your training and that's tough mm-hmm. but uh, i would you know try and you know try and get a really good understanding and lots of different disciplines and fields that that can make you know make your life better and, and basically understandable. Not only is it interesting for you and stimulating for your brain and your mind, you'll learn a lot more about, you know, yourself and Completely. how you could progress as well. So I would, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, educating yourself in all these different, you know, areas, yeah. trying, trying to understand as much as what you, you know, as much as what you can and mm. lots of different fields because there's lots of information out there that you can, you know, you, that you can, that you can pick up. Um, you don't have to guess university. You don't yeah. have to do a course specifically in it. You know, you can pick it up from, all kinds of areas. I, I um, think I, I think I'm glad you're saying this because I think for me curiosity is such an important trait for athletes. Of course it is, yes. Curious. And actually if you get an athlete that's so blooded minded and so single directed, you know, yeah. okay, I find that that's a real focus. But actually I think if we can look broader and open our periphery vision and really get into of that course, idea of being yeah. curious, I think there's some real strong mental stuff there. Then performing under pressure doesn't necessarily seem the 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 greatest thing in the world you know it's just it's another byproduct of life i think so yeah curiosity no, is key exactly curiosity yeah and i wouldn't even you know limit it to sport as well you know do some research on navy seals you know how do they okay. respond under pressure you know different kind of you know in the, in the kind of academic fields you know how does a top surgeon respond under pressure you know there's, there's lots of similarities that you can mm. get from and crossovers from you know different industries and yeah. um different careers and sectors and yeah so perfect and and well the 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 two final things for me well the i think the two frontiers that are being investigated and you've said them both and i'm glad you did sleep and breathing i i'm I'm seeing Mm. so much more on those two subjects going right optimal sleep for performance and learning and and how we do that for our our own personality and then the Mm. breathing the wim hof stuff i think is brilliant and how we get our body in into different states with different types of breathing so yeah really glad you recommended those so hopefully people listening can can get that curiosity in there but peter marshall listen this has been an absolute delight for me there was actually about four more other questions i wanted to go down a oh, rabbit hole with you but maybe it gives yeah. us an excuse to have a, a conversation with one, at some yeah. Point. yeah it could yeah. be really cool but listen thank you so much man and no um go, enjoy the rest of your day and take care yes and you thanks jesse good to speak to you see you later bye
presence, process, persistence, the essence of Squash Mind. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.